The presenting sponsor of today's podcast is Fifth Element CBD. Fifth Element is ultra-high milligram CBD focused on relief and recovery after a workout. They are specially designed for people with an active lifestyle from weekend warriors to professional athletes to bucket list gym enthusiasts. Fifth Element, aka 5E, is full-spectrum high milligram hemp to help you whenever, wherever you need it, whether it's after the gym or after work. Get yours today to feel better tomorrow by visiting 5ehemp.com and use the promo code MONSTER for 50% off. Yes, you heard that right. 50% off. Half off. That's 5ehemp.com and use the code MONSTER. Go to 5ehemp and get 50% off. That's the number 5, the letter E, hemp.com. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. And welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast for episode 209 of the show. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by my friend and co-host, Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. Keaton, what's up, my friend? Not much, man. Just uh, you know, hanging in there after a tough opening series against the Orioles. Yeah, that wasn't great. I know, uh, you know, I was talking to Shelly on a podcast yesterday, and uh, she was she was talking about going on your show, uh, the precap, and she was not super excited about the prospect. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a tough one to talk about. You know, not exactly how we wanted to start this season for the Red Sox. Uh, we are actually recording this one in the middle of the Red Sox Rays game right now. The Red Sox have a one nothing lead at the bottom of the fourth. Um, Nick Pavetta actually looking pretty good. Three walks, three strikeouts, just one hit allowed. Um, you know, offense actually coming alive a little bit early in this one. Five hits and just 13 at-bats. Um, so hopefully we'll get a good result. You will know before uh, we do uh, because you'll be listening to this when the game is over unless something crazy happens. Um, but anyhow, we are going to be breaking down our thoughts on the weekend series and getting to a bunch of your very panicky questions today. Um, but before we do that, a little bit of housekeeping here. Uh, if you enjoy this show, please go on, rate and review us. Follow us on Twitter. You can follow Keaton at the Spoken Keats. We got to get my man to a thousand followers, so go ahead and do that. I, I would appreciate it. I'm sure he would too. I would. And you can follow me on Twitter at DevJake for my Red Sox thoughts there and some fantasy baseball ones mixed in as well. And uh, if you like this show, we do have lots of others on this network. All you have to do is nothing. Just continue to listen on your same subscribe channel. You can find the Precap Podcast. You can find the Red Sox On Deck Prospect Podcast. And you can find another Red Sox Musings show, the Over the Monster Podcast with Matt Collins and Brian Joyner. So check out all those. Um, but let's get right to it, Keaton. We're going to dive into uh, the positives and negatives from this weekend series um, and just kind of, you know, 
chop it all up, see what we got. Put it in a, put it in a blender, as they say. Um, so the Red Sox did open up by dropping all three games to the Orioles. The worst of the three was definitely the Easter game, which is not the you know Easter miracle we were looking for. Um, but I wanted to start off, since I am Mr. Positivity this year and apparently every other now, uh, I don't know how this became my role, um, but with, with Garrett Whitlock uh, and some other positives from this weekend, I, that was the thing that stood out to me most was Whitlock's performance on Sunday, going 3.1 innings pitch, striking out five guys, just allowing three hits and walking nobody. That was awesome. Yeah. And actually, just before we get into to Whitlock's individual performance, um, I'm going to join you on the optimism train here, at least for now. <laughs> but, I mean, uh, overall, the team dropped all three to the Orioles, but it was such a dramatically different start than the previous season, even though uh, they at least won one game in the opening series against the Orioles to open 2020. Uh, they started the season allowing seven or more runs in four of the first five games. And from the jump, the starting pitching was atrocious. And that really set the stage for the rest of the season. That's not the case with these three. I mean, they they dropped all three to the Orioles, but we got a great start from Evaldi. We got a great start from Hauk. Richards was tough. Um, so even though the opening result after three games is worse than 2020, I feel much better about this team now uh, and where they currently are having got an actual decent pitching performance. And that leads right into Whitlock with his outstanding no walks, five strikeouts, three and a third. Um, saw him warming up in the first, and then Richards was at least able to settle down a little bit in the second, get through that, and then ran into trouble in the third. Eventually, when uh, when Whitlock was finally brought in. But yeah, he, seeing him continue the great spring that he had and awesome control, getting swings and misses, really kind of dominating, uh, really kind of makes you feel like they could get back to that uh, Andrew Miller arm in the bullpen guy that can pitch long stints in relief of guys or come in late in high leverage games and get like four outs or three outs. If you need them, uh, it really feels like he's going to be an awesome weapon for Alex Cora in the bullpen this year. Yeah, it really does. Um, I, I was just encouraged by everything that I saw from him. And like you said, the spring carrying over for him has been fantastic. Uh, and I'm just really, really looking forward to seeing what he can do and what type of a weapon he can be uh, this season. So and he, he really does remind me of Andrew Miller in some ways because of his size. Maybe yeah. that's a little unfair to throw on him, but you know, that's... Definitely how I feel in the heavy sinker, man. That pitch is just, whew, that is nasty. Love that. Love the command. All right. Um, next positive for us here. Um, Sawamura looked awesome. Hirokazu Sawamura. Um, so he, he pitched multiple outings already. Um, the thing that stood out to me right off the top of the bat was the velo. I didn't know he had that type of velocity with his fastball. I definitely didn't know he could throw a splitter 93 miles an hour because that is not anything we saw in spring training. Um, And just like the swag that this guy has, uh, I'm loving it. Yeah, me too. Did have two walks uh, yesterday to go along with this couple of strikeouts. Um, 
but his first outing was real smooth. He's only gotten up one hit so far. Yeah, he's been, um, I mean, basically what we hoped he would be so far. Yeah, he really has. And the fact that he's wearing Koji's number 19 and it was important to him to play here uh, because of Koji just makes me super happy too. Yeah. Um, What are you expecting from him for the rest of the season? Do you think that he can actually, you know, come in and fill into a late innings role eventually? Or do you think he's going to work more in the middle innings? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, in my mind right now, I would kind of see the pecking order as Sawamura, Adebino, Barnes, you know, for the one, two run game for seventh, eighth, and ninth. Mm-hmm. Um, if Adovino and Barnes have their walk issues kind of bite them in the ass a couple times, then I could definitely see uh, Samura jumping him because so far, I mean, yeah, he had he had two walks yesterday. His first outing was kind of clean. He didn't really have a history of walk issues in Japan. So if he's going to have more control and he's going to be pumping the velo and missing bats like he is, um, I don't know how you could keep him out of high leverage situations. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I still think that he's a dark horse to get saves on this team, especially because of what Cora was talking about preseason when he was talking about, um, you know, potentially using Brazier in that type of role. Like, what's the difference between Sawamura and Brazier? The only difference was that he had experience with Brazier in high leverage spots already. He didn't probably want to promise uh, Sawamura without seeing him work in the majors yet, but you have to be impressed by the confidence here and the swag that the dude has, and the stuff definitely, definitely plays at the major league level. So if you feel strongly about being able to put Barnes and Adovino wherever you want in the highest leverage spots, you know, Sawamura all of a sudden becomes a very interesting ninth inning option. Yeah, he definitely does. And that's... um... And we talked on the last podcast about how essentially everybody that you were coming into the season relying on for high leverage situations, and you can even throw Darwin Hernandez into that, has walk issues. Uh, so if there's someone who has the type of stuff to come in at a one-run game, two-run game, or even a tie game and just kind of keep it where it's at, uh, but just not allowing base runners, then they're going to get used a lot. And so far, looks like Sarmore can do that. Yeah, really does. Uh, so we'll we'll definitely be keeping an eye on him, but it seems like he's doing everything he can to earn Cora's trust uh, in the early going. So definitely encouraged by that. Um, Matt Barnes, uh, after you know a, a tough weekend for him to get in and actually pitch. By the time Sunday rolled around, Matt Barnes and Ottavino needed to get into games. They just hadn't had work, um, yeah. so they both ended up pitching. Ottavino gave up a run, but Barnes pitched a clean inning, looked pretty good. Um, what did you think between those two guys? I thought they were both overall positives. I didn't really take anything away from Ottavino's getting hit around, but I, I'm curious as to how you read that performance from those guys. Yeah, and I read it the same way. It was nice to see Barnes, no hits, only one walk. Um, Ottavino gave up two hits, had two walks, so and ended up leading to a run. Uh, but also had two strikeouts just like Barnes did. Um, so that's, yeah, I just uh, don't really think it leans one way or another, but it's good to see them have uh, at least solid outings, their first stint out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, 
we might be burying the lead here a little bit with how I ordered some of these things today, just looking at the positives. But I think maybe the biggest positive from what was a surprising weekend uh, in terms of lack of offensive output was the fact that the guy who was the face of the offense, um, which isn't to say much still, was J.D. Martinez, who had the first home run of the year and frankly has looked like his old self so far. On Friday, he went one for four. Saturday, he had a big day, went three for four. Sunday, he went two for four with a home run. Um, You know, J.D. looks comfortable at the plate again. He sure does. Uh, It took him a long time to get going there in spring training, and he's actually got uh, another hit and a walk tonight, so hitting five thirty-eight. Uh, pretty, it's pretty good. Pretty good, yeah. And that was something that, I mean, we waited all spring for him to finally like string some decent at bats together. But neither of you, neither of us, were worried about it. Uh, and I think this is kind of proving us right, rightly so. Martinez, professional hitter, he'll get it done. Yeah, and not having that to worry about, you know, we know that Bogey and Devers will get it going because they always do, and they're, you know, two of the more talented offensive players in baseball. But that is exactly how we talked about J.D. Martinez for the last few years leading up to 2020. Um, so seeing him getting going is important. I'm going to be paying special attention to how J.D. Martinez is handling fastballs, how he's handling lefties. Those are some things that he's been struggling against. Or maybe it was righties, actually. Yeah, I think it was righties that he was struggling against a little bit. But, you know, I'm going to be keeping an eye on all of that stuff. But it just, this lineup feels so much longer and so much more potent when he's going well. Yeah, it is. Yeah. All right. So two of the the most encouraging things to me over the first three games were the starting pitching performances. And this is the big reason why I'm not slamming the panic button after three games. First of all, 0-3 start, you know, it's tough to panic. You don't want that to happen. But, like, I always try and remind myself with baseball, if we had an 0-3 stretch in the middle of August or the middle of July, no one would bat an eye. You know, we'd just be like, oh, yeah, that sucks. Happens. It's baseball. Um, it feels way bigger, but the fact of the matter is that the Red Sox biggest issue going into this season and last season was pitching. That's the biggest question mark. Tanner Houck and Nate Eovaldi looked fantastic in both of their starts. I want to talk about Tanner Houck's start though on Saturday first. Fastball slider combination was incredible. The slider in particular was every bit as nasty as it has been advertised, he only allowed two earned runs, struck out eight, and only walked one. That is the key to me for Tanner Houck. Uh, what did you see from him during that start, and and what were you impressed with? What do you still think he needs to do to you know improve? Yeah, I mean, well, there's it's not much to nitpick. I mean, one walk. Eight strikeouts, that frisbee slider. Um, there's just something about him pitching the majors because it was the same thing, really all throughout the minors, and and really the the two pieces that he needed to work on. Um, that was really kind of what was trending as him being a, a reliever instead of a starter was his walk issues, um, and just kind of being able to to throw more than one pitch and get that slider going. 
Um, and those really haven't been issues for him at the major league level. I mean, it was an issue in spring training, but thankfully he's got those worked out. He had to have been to get more walks than strikeouts at one point in the spring, which is uh, not exactly what you're looking for. But, no. um, yeah, there's just – I am hopeful that he can keep it going um, just because we've seen four total starts from now, and they've all been really, really good. Uh, so I don't, I don't know if – I mean, the walks is just the thing that he needs to keep working on. Um, it's been good so far, obviously, but it's keep him in check. Uh, don't walk guys. Don't throw uh, a bunch of pitches early. Be able to get deep into the game. Keep that fastball slider combo working, uh, and he should be fine. Yeah, the, the thing that I would like to see a little bit more from him moving forward still is just the mixing in of the third pitch. Uh, yeah. he, he definitely has... The thing that's deceiving about looking at his line is that he definitely has multiple fastballs and multiple sliders, it seems like. Just from watching him, he can take a little bit off and change the shape of the slider a little bit. Um, Same thing for the fastball. So it's a little bit deceptive, um, but he's still just clearly not comfortable with that split finger. Certainly hasn't gone to a changeup or a curveball or anything like that. So um, I still hesitate to get overly excited about Tanner Houck because of that. And, you know, the nice thing is that if if you wanted to today, you can put Tanner Houck into the bullpen and he could be an electric multi-inning weapon. Yeah, I still just want him to be a starter, though. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you. And I think getting him in uh, at least one or two starts early before what I'm going to assume is he gets optioned uh, when Rodriguez comes back, I think is going to be I guess, just a strong motivator for him too because he'll have that experience as a starter. I mean, obviously last year went really well. And that's that's kind of the role that I want to see him in too because that slider is so good. Uh, yeah. and he like holds his velocity in that break deep into games. It's really just going to come down to um, – is the control that he's shown through four starts real or is he going to regress a bit? And, you know, if that's the case, then yeah, he'll be destined for the bullpen. But I think he has what it takes to be a starter. It's just going to be a matter of, is he going to be consistent enough? Cause I think we're waiting for that to ha- happen. I mean, we haven't, I don't, I think he he's only walked like two in an outing is the most. Uh, and that was one of the ones last year. Right. And in the minors, he's walked a lot more than that. (laughs) So I want to believe that this is real, but I feel like there's going to be a bit of a correction and he's going to have a a bit where he stumbles. But uh, he has the stuff to be a starter. And certainly I think the Red Sox need him to be a starter more than they would need him to be a reliever right now. So I hope that continues too, and I'd like to see him remain a starter. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's just such a big deal, too, that he carried that over. Um, You can say what you want about the three starts down the stretch last year. I think we were all impressed by those. But, you know, I think it was I was actually listening to the radio and heard a coherent point, which I don't usually do. But someone was (laughs) saying it might have been Lou uh, Merloni talking about how. You know, the starts last year were sort of unimportant by that point because it was late in the year and, you know, the playoffs had kind of already been sorted out a little bit. So this was definitely a higher uh, important start, Uh, a little bit more pressure, especially not making the team coming off the bad spring. So I was really impressed by how he 
recovered and, and how he continued to carry over that performance. So this is just one of the big, huge differences between the team last year and this year is the fact that Erod goes down and you have Tanner freaking Houck to come in there and deliver you a beautiful start that gave this team a chance. Uh, and really, he pitched well enough to to get some help to win. And I think that was the dis- disappointing thing about this weekend. Uh, and we'll get to the negatives here because we're not quite there yet. But, you know, like you get performances like that and the one we're going to talk about here in a second from Eovaldi, and you got to win those games. The yeah. offense has to carry you. Yep, and that's exactly why I'm in the, the optimism, not panicking after three, because the Red Sox issues to start the season last year, we knew the issue was going to be the pitching, and it immediately was the pitching. And I wasn't really hoping it was going to get better. We know the offense is going to score runs. They'll get better. I mean, they, right. they gave a, up. Uh, they only scored a combined six runs in all three of these games. you got to do better than that, especially against the Orioles. But the offense is so good. Like, J.D.'s got it figured out. Bogarts is going to get it figured out. Verdugo and Devers are strong enough hitters. Bottom of the order is going to figure their, their stuff out. It's not going to be like that. Cause I mean, tonight they've already got three. So. Right. <laughs> uh that's that's why we know that's going to turn around, and if the pitching stays as consistent as it was to that first series, um, they should definitely be able to take two out of three from just about anybody that they go up against. So, but you're right; there'll be times where I'm sure they'll get swept by someone again in like June, July, and we'll be kind of bummed about it, but we won't really bat too much of an eye. But just because it's right at the jump, it's things a little bit more. So before we close the book on Hauk, uh, and I agree with everything you just said, by the way, um, is there anything he can do to stay up here once Erod comes back? Or is or to you, is he definitely just earmarked for more work uh, at AAA? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it makes a lot of sense to move him to the bullpen um, if they're in, intent on keeping him as a starter for now until he proves he can't be a starter. Then I don't think it makes sense for him to be in the bullpen. He has the options. Um, Erod's going to come back. Um, I guess it would mean... Mar- well, no. Yeah, I just don't see any, any of the other guys going down. So I just think it's kind of a formality. But uh, I'm sure he will. it won't be long before he gets another opportunity to come back. Yeah. Okay. All right, let's move on to the first and uh, maybe most impressive pitching performance. I, it's definitely close between Hauken and Eovaldi, but Nate Eovaldi on Friday as the opening day starter was very impressive. He was actually dueling with John Means throughout the entire afternoon in what was a extremely well-pitched game on both sides. He went 5.1 innings pitch, struck out four, walked one, allowed just four hits, But to me, the line wasn't really the story. Um, To me, the story was the pitch mix um, from from Eovaldi. It was just crazy. The kitchen sink that this guy can throw at you. Fastball, slider, cutter, curveball, split finger, in any count. Uh, And in particular, I was just really impressed with the shape of his curveball and how he was using it with confidence. Eovaldi is Good, man. That's like my one takeaway from this is like he has it all when he is going right and when he's healthy. I mean, he looked like he belonged on opening day, to be honest. He looked awesome. Yeah, he did. And that's that's kind of what we've always known is when he is healthy, his stuff is 
filthy and it's you know pretty close to the top tier well maybe not quite top tier but like second tier in all of major league baseball in terms of just pure stuff it's just a matter of him staying healthy and that's she just can't do that part so i think it is a really strong start to see him healthy and dealing from the get-go and we really just kind of have to hope that he stays healthy enough to keep it going yeah and he's really come into his own these last couple seasons with the red sox i mean if we look at some more advanced metrics, skills interactive ERA on fan fan graphs, which takes into account a lot more than just, you know, traditional stats and, and looks at FIP and all sorts of other things. Um, last year, he had a 3.45 Sierra. This year, he's at 3.66, albeit just one start. But those are, you know, those would be the two best marks of his entire career. What I, what stands out to me about watching Eovaldi now versus watching Eovaldi when he was with Tampa Bay or when he was with the Yankees or, you know, in the before time when he was with the Marlins, he's just so much more confident in who exactly he is as a pitcher and what he needs to do from a game plan perspective to attack. And while he's become a smarter pitcher, he's actually gained velocity too. I mean, his his average velocity on his fastball has gone from 94 early in his career up to 97 now, and it's been 97 basically since 2016. Um, so the stuff, I think, is just continuing to improve while he gets smarter, and he just has – he doesn't walk anybody. So the thing I'll be looking for from Eovaldi is whether or not he can control his home run to fly ball rate, which the last couple of years has been over 20% or, or 20%, which is just way too high uh, to be – very successful. If if he can get that somewhere around ten percent, I mean, we're I think we're talking about one of the better pitchers, you know, certainly in the Red Sox rotation, but potentially even one of the better pitchers in the American League. Yeah, I agree. And something that was kind of perplexing about his stuff last year was the games that he kind of like dominated, missing the bats the most, tended to be the games where he gave the most runs. It's kind of backwards. It was like his stuff was really strong and missing bats, but he was in the zone too much. Mm. And kind of when he's dancing on the edges is when he really dominates, which is exactly what he did in that first start. So I'll just be looking for him to work, just basically continue that, keep that going. Um, his sequencing is great. The velocity is great. It's just all about the positioning. And like you said, he doesn't walk. He has the control to do it. He just can't dance in the zone as much as he has in in the past but when he's on the edges and has people off balance he has a great start like he did on uh, friday yeah absolutely absolutely um so looking at the last positive that i had written on here before we get to the negatives which i think is what everybody came for um (laughs) yeah is uh christian vasquez man three for four on sunday uh the only other member of the offense who's really hot right now he's two for two tonight as we record this with two runs scored uh vasky has been doing it man uh and this is just kind of a continuation of what we had talked about keaton putting him in that upper echelon of catchers in in the league i think that he's like he's the real deal yeah i mean he's been that for what two and a half seasons now yeah um waiting for the power to come but you know it's only game four so no need to rush it um i believe he has a a double. Oh wait, no. He that was held to a single tonight. So, uh, don't know where he's at on the extra base hits. But putting the bat on the ball, 
getting uh, driving in some runs there from the bottom of the lineup. Um, exactly what we want. Yep, it really is. Uh, I am a little bit concerned though that of all the Red Sox hand wringing and concern about the changing of the ball this spring, because Cora talked a lot about that. I don't know if it was just the winter uh, weather that we had up in Boston or what, but like it definitely seemed like a couple of the balls that were really well hit. And I remember particularly one from Vasquez. I believe that was on Saturday that I saw where he barreled it. Like it, he hit it with the fat part of the bat. It did not go as far as I expected it to uh, at all. And there were many balls this weekend that were struck that I was kind of looking at my TV sideways like, what? Like, how is that not a wall ball right now? Um, did you notice that at all? Yeah, the one that stuck out to me was uh, Bobby Bouncy Balls. He had one that was just immediately when he hit it, you're like, oh, that's over the monster. Yeah. And it ended up just like coming just shy of the warning track. And <laughs> oh, like, yeah. What? Yeah, I remember that ball. <laughs> yeah. That's the one that stuck out to me. I mean, I guess maybe it was a little bit towards the end of the bat, but it wasn't like wasn't really at the end of the bat. So that I mean that's the one that stuck out to me, but it also could have been that they were playing in like what our high thirties, low forties. Yeah. I think I think they're gonna figure it out. I think so too. Um and I, I think that the Red Sox clearly planned for that. Um, you know, guys like Kike and Verdugo, um, you know, they're not gonna be power guys, but they planned for power with guys who post big EVs, you know, the, the JDs, the Bogarts, the Devers, uh, and the whole bottom of that lineup between Dahlbeck, Renfro, and Cordero, like, yeah, they can be playing with a rock, and that thing will leave the yard when those guys fully connect. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not super concerned about it for the Red Sox, but I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of this season, we see that the runs scored have dropped by like a half run a game. I mean, neither would I. Isn't isn't that basically what Major League Baseball is going for? They're like, we got too much shit from the pitchers about the bouncy balls, so we got to reel it in. And so, yeah, I'm just naturally expecting that to be the case. Yep, it seems so. And they want more balls in play, so we'll see. We'll see how that plays. But something to monitor for this year and something that definitely uh, can affect guys who are a little bit fringier with their power, like Christian Vasquez. Um, So we could see that occur. A little bit more. All right, let's get to the negatives here. This is what everybody came for. Definitely the comments tell us that everybody (laughs) came for this. Uh, We're going to get to your boy first, Keaton. Uh, Garrett Richards was dog crap uh, on Sunday, to say it it mildly. Um, He had allowed seven hits, two walks, uh, and six certain runs. And I believe he only went, what, two innings pitched? And yeah. he struck out two. Uh, it wasn't a good line. And then his comments after the game were kind of annoying, too. He was just like, yeah, I guess uh, I hit, uh, you know, every ball that was hit off me just kind of landed. You know, they hit them where they weren't or whatever. And it was like, dude, you were bad. Like, uh, this wasn't just some fluky thing. So, it, I don't know. That was a little off-putting to me. What was your takeaway from both his performance and his comments? Well, this is the first that I, I didn't see the, the post-game comments, but I was kind of like laughing to myself like, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of the definition of a hit is the ball was hit where fielders were not. 
Right. <laughs> like, uh, so, yeah, maybe you don't give up as many next time. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it was a bad outing, but bad outings happen. Um, and this is kind of goes along with uh, the Red Sox got swept, but there's still a bunch of positives to take away from that series in Baltimore and to not feel down about the start of the season. It's kind of like the same thing. Richards had uh, an inconsistent spring but he showed signs of life. He had talked about mechanical issues specifically he was working with. It seemed like he got them squared away by the end of spring training. He got roughed up here. It happens. Guys get roughed up. If this continues and we're three starts in and his ERA is still over 20, then yeah, I'll start to panic. But I bet he bounces back and has a better second half. Yeah, I hope so. Um, one of the things he said in his comments was mechanically, like he felt okay and, and things felt pretty good overall but you know if you're dropping a line like that over two innings pitched um don't get up and tell me everything's okay (laughs) like i don't know that's it's it's just it's a tough way to be in boston uh and i think that that is not going to endear him to fans right away so i hope that he will learn that he needs to take a little bit more accountability for these types of things. And, and I, I do think it does make a difference because fans are a little bit more forgiving when you know, at least in this market, I think, when you know yeah. that you're screwing up rather than if you're like, no, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, it's it's easy to to like wave off. Like, you know, if it was a 0-0 game in the sixth, and they strung a couple hits together to, you know, get across a run, and then they won by one. You'd be like, yeah, you know, just had had some bad luck in a couple at bats there. Dude gave up seven hits and walked two in two innings. Right. <laughs> That's not the same, man. You got rocked. Yeah. Just be exactly. like, I didn't have it. <laughs> right. Exactly. And people would be like, Yep, fine. First game at Fenway. It was cold. I get it. You're from Southern California. Whatever. Like. We'll make excuses for you. Just don't tell us everything's fine. Yeah. Um, all right. So not going to panic too much about Garrett Richards. Overall, I'm still very confident in him. Love the stuff. Um, guy who I am fully pushing the panic button on, Keaton. Fully, fully. Pu- I mean, I have it right next to me. I'm slamming on it right now. Uh, <laughs> Josh Taylor, man. Four earned runs. Uh, in just 0.2 innings on Sunday, five hits, one walk, two strikeouts, gave up an earned run the last outing out in just 0.1. Josh Taylor is not even remotely close to the Josh Taylor he was in, what was that, 2018, 2019. He's not that guy at all anymore. The stuff is not there. He had that little bit of a shoulder injury. Then he had covid I think they need to send Josh Taylor down. I agree with you. It's about time you join me on this one. When we were uh, looking at the bullpen in the offseason, Taylor was one of the guys that I had kind of bunched in at the bottom as like a don't really need to see him anymore. Uh, And after this outing, it just kind of confirmed for me that we're good. Yeah, um, and and it is a little surprising because he is just 28 years old. And and like we said, I mean, 2019 – it was 2019 that was the good season for him. Yeah. Um, he was great. You know, he had a 3.04 ERA. But 
he just hasn't looked anything close to that. The 9.82 ERA last season, albeit in just 7.1 innings, so it was very limited you can take away from that. But, you know, his velocity is just not even close to what it was uh, in, in 2019. He was almost averaging 95 miles an hour on his fastball. Uh, he was averaging three miles an hour less uh, than that, or uh, I should say two miles an hour less than that. So uh, 95 miles an hour, just about from, sorry, dropping from 95 to 93. So two miles an hour less, um, less velo on the slider, clearly not as effective as a pitch for him. Plus the Red Sox have options, man. They have a lot more options at AAA than they had before. Um, guys that I'm looking at, Edward Bizzardo, the righty. Kevin McCarthy, who probably should have made the team if he was on the 40-man roster. Like, they have guys who stand out, who can help this team right now. We don't need to wait around for Josh Taylor. And he has options, too. Like, both of those things. You're not risking losing him. It's not an Austin Bryce situation. Right. I'm 100% with you. Give me Bizarro. Much rather see him than Taylor. That's who I want, too. I, I want Bizarro. I think you can make it in this bullpen with just uh, Darwin's in from the left side. I think that's fine. I don't have any concerns. Agreed. All right. Moving on to our next negative on the agenda. This is probably the one that I've heard people talking about most. uh, The defense. Enrique Hernandez had an error on Friday. Devers had a throwing error on Saturday. We had two pass balls, one from the Ploster, one from Vasky. Um, not super concerned with the Vasky pass ball. Uh, Devers benched on Sunday in favor of Marvin Gonzalez, who played third. Uh, by all accounts, Cora says Devers is working super hard at his defense, but he's just not doing it on the field, Keaton. How panicked should we be about the defense for this team? I'm not panicked yet. I mean, we, we talked about how Hernandez was a really good defender pretty much like all off season, And, oh, Bogey just got a little leak inside the Parker. That's fun. Who did? Bogarts. You got an inside the Parker right now? <laughs> well, a, a little leak inside the Parker. So oh. <laughs> they tried wow. to get uh, J.D. Martinez at home, and then the uh, catcher went to throw to third and just airmailed it completely. Awesome. Down, <laughs> all the way down to Monster. So. Look at that. that. Five runs. Offense is clicking. We're good. All right. Um, back to the defense, though. I'm, yeah, I'm not worried. We talked about how uh, short of a defender Hernandez was. His error was kind of weird. I get it. Uh, Devers has had his issues in the past, so it's easy to see him have one in two games and be like, oh, my God. But then again, it's it's two games. and we've, we've seen him go you know, a full month looking like a gold glover, and then you might make three errors in a game. They don't have anybody else that I'd like to see play third base every day. Uh, Certainly no one that is like a far superior defender. So I think Devers is going to be fine. Hernandez is going to figure his stuff out. Pass balls is weird. That just kind of seems like early season weirdness. Both of those guys are great defenders behind the plate. So I'm not concerned in the slightest. Seems like a bit of an overreaction to three games. Yeah, I mean, the Devers stuff is a little bit more alarming because, you know, he was a bad defender last year. He was a really bad defender. Um, He makes errors both fielding and throwing. He definitely has enough arm. 
Uh, he let Bogarts get to a ball that definitely should have been his ball this weekend, I think. Uh, or at least it looked to me like the third baseman's ball. Um, but he ended up kind of backing off. So the communication was a little off with, with uh, Xander Bogarts there. Um, I think that needs to improve. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know what the issue is uh, with Devers. I don't know whether it's mental, whether it's still a fitness thing. Um, I do think it needs to improve this season. And I, th- I think it needs to improve relatively quickly. But I still am more confident in him as a third baseman than anybody else in the organization. And I don't think there's an easy solution there. You know, I don't think it's like, oh, yeah, just flip-flop him in uh, Dahlbeck. Like, I'm right. not sure at this point in Dahlbeck's career he's a better defender than Devers is. And I don't think the organization really thinks that either. Nope. Um, when, when they were coming up, the organization made that calculus, right? Like, they they decided that uh, Devers could do everything that he could do. So I still I still think they like him there better than any other place. Um, and I'm not worried at all about the catchers. I'm 100% with you. The Vasquez... Uh, Pass ball looked like just a cross up, a signal cross up with with uh, Richards, who's new to the team. Yeah, so I'm not worried. Yeah, I, I agree. We'll we'll wait a little bit longer to panic about that particular thing. Um, so the offense, though, um, just five runs over the entire series. Uh, you mentioned that uh, just fifteen hits uh, over the series against the um, Baltimore Orioles. Uh, and one of the issues that we saw during this series was strikeout issues. In particular, Bobby Dahlbeck, who we knew would have strikeout issues, he had five strikeouts over the first three games and was benched today uh, for Marvin Gonzalez, who started at first base. Are How concerned are you about the fact that there is so much swing and miss at the bottom of this lineup with him and Renfro and Cordero? Uh, you know, all all coming up empty so often. Well, Renfro and Cordero have their issues, and it's not great when you have a strikeout rate in the 30s, but Dahlbeck's is like 20% worse. <laughs> right now, it's at exactly 50%. Um, that's an issue. And, um, I mean, that's something that I kept bringing up all spring because it's easy to uh, write Dahlbeck's strikeouts off when he's hitting just as many home runs as he is striking out. Um, but that's, you can't survive in the majors like that. Uh, you know, he was able to do it in a small sample in uh, 2020. His strikeout rate was like 44%. It's at 50% now through uh, one series here. It was just shy of 50% through spring training. It's too many. It's too many strikeouts. Uh, and really the only way that you can kind of stomach it is if he's still going to hit 250 and hit like 45 bombs. Um which maybe he can do. You know, he's, he's shown that kind of power. Uh, he's a bigger guy. His swing is a bit more controlled through the zone uh, than other guys, but it, it's he's got to be able to make contact with it. He just can't. So, uh, again, it's it's in our nature to overreact to one series, but we've seen now, you know, where it's a bit more of that with all of his at-bats in 2020, his spring training numbers, um, the start to the season. He's got He's got to reel it in. Yeah, I'm not going to panic yet, and I agree with you uh, that he needs to fix this issue, but watching it, 
to me, his biggest issue was not that he was just swinging through pitches. It was the fact that he was being too passive. Um, looking at his at-bats, he took so many really good first pitch strikes or pitches in the zone that he just kind of looked at and didn't attempt to do damage on. Uh, he's coming across to me as just way too passive right now. He needs to attack and we'll be fine with him attacking if that comes with a 30% strikeout rate and 30 plus bombs. You know, I, I think everybody's fine with that. He's not a good enough hitter to sit back and just like let good pitches go past him. He needs to be an attacker to be an effective hitter. Yeah. And I think that's the sweet spot. I mean, he's going to have his strikeouts, but if it's at 30% instead of 44%, then that's a lot more balls in play. It's a lot more homers. That's a lot easier to swallow. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll be looking for, for Dahlbeck to get a little bit more aggressive at the plate in these next coming days. And, you know, I think it was right for Cora to sit him right away and just have him think about that. And I'm sure they're talking to him about being aggressive. So, um, you know, one of the things to keep an eye on here in the early going. Yeah, and that's the spring training piece, too. Most of his home runs were to the opposite field, which just kind of shows his control of the zone and being able to take pitches where they're thrown and doing damage with them. So I think you're right. He just needs to to kind of be a little bit more aggressive in what he's swinging and, and not so passive on it. And those things will probably just sort themselves out. Yeah. Baseball's hard. Sure is. That's why I can't do it. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't even hit like Bobby Dahlbeck in Little League. So, you know, it's, uh, yeah, no, no chance for me. All right, uh, let's get to some questions here. Um, we have a whole bunch of them today, and they are all each more panicky than the next. So we will uh, try and address your fears uh, and be your, your, your couch therapists today. Uh, the first one comes from Jared, who says, without overreacting, ah, I like it, controlled fear. Uh, how long do you give this level of play before the Sox decide it's time to let guys like Duran, Downs, Chavis, and maybe even Casas get reps in the bigs? It's a pretty good question, actually. Yeah, it is. Um, Duran, I still think, is probably the first, and it feels like the first outfield injury. Then Duran, well, although it didn't seem like with uh, Cordero when uh, his start of the season was in doubt, it didn't look like Duran was going to be there. But I feel like there's other reasons I went into that. But um, Duran definitely feels like the first one up at an injury because I don't, I don't really know where else they would go in the outfield um, or who kind of who they would bring up. Um, Chavis kind of feels like he's going to have a solid stint in AAA and then go somewhere else. You know, trade like to a different team. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. Um, and then Downs and Casas are probably late summer, um, or I mean, Downs probably more so than Casas. But if Casas is tearing it up, and Dahlbuck's still got his strikeout issues, uh, you know, come end of July, I wouldn't be shocked to see a swap there. Yeah, that's exactly it, man. It's going to come down to how much uh, contact you get from the back end of that lineup. If um, if you're getting too many zeros from both Renfro and Cordero, you're going to need to bring up Durant to to add a little bit more contact to the lineup and replace one of those guys. And the same thing follows for Dahlbeck. Um, 
you know, Chavis, or I should say Casas is a much better hitter uh, than, than Dahlbeck or, or Chavis is. So um, he's somebody who makes a lot more contact, but can give you the same amount of power. Um, ideally, I think they probably have two fewer of these all or nothing type guys in the lineup. This is a little bit unusual. So I, I definitely would, would rank it Duran, Casas, then Downs, then Chavis in terms of like uh, these guys being injected into the lineup. But I agree with you, Keaton. I think it's Duran probably by like June or July, unless things are going really well in the outfield. Yes, I agree. I think I think I lean Downs over Casas, but definitely Duran first and then Chavis fourth in that order. I can see that. He's definitely a little bit more finished, so it yeah. makes some sense. Uh, our next one comes from Mads89, and uh, he or she says, The talk recently has been what would it take for Hauk to stay in the rotation, but it seems uh, it should start shifting to what Richards needs to do to remain in it coming off a rough spring and rough first start. Um, we're both not super worried about that, about Richards in, in his first rough start. I mean, how? let me just phrase this question slightly differently. How much would Richards have to struggle for the Red Sox to end up starting, starting Hauk over him? I don't think it's even an option. I mean, Evaldi had a worse spring than Richards did. Richards had more strikeouts. Um I guess Richards had more walks, but he had even had a lower ERA uh, and almost the same amount of inning, innings pitch. Evaldi gave up way more hits. Um, and Evaldi's first outing was fine, and no one's worried about him the rest of the season. This is a 100% overreaction. And yeah. how I don't think there's anything he can do to remain in the rotation over Richards after one bad start. Richards just has such a track record of success in the major leagues that I think he will get an exceptionally long rope this year. Um, and, and plus he's making $10 million. So, you know, one of the few veteran pieces uh, in that rotation that, you know, really seem locked in. So I, I would I would be shocked. Um, next question comes from Gary Higgum. And he says, Cora says the ball isn't carrying. Baltimore seemed to do well. Cora up to his old excuses already. Does Cora usually make excuses? So isn't that why we all loved him is because he didn't? Well, he didn't in 2018. He was sure. a little bit. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess in 2019 you know, he kept referring to 2018. <laughs> yeah. In, 20, in 2019, it got kind of annoying because that was the year that Matt and I were doing the Locked On podcast every day. And Cora was just like, yeah, everything's fine. We're good. We're good. We're good. And like, no, man, you're not. You weren't. Things are not good. Um, I don't think this is an excuse from Cora, though, because like. The ball was being weird. I don't think he should have said it because clearly Baltimore pummeled the ball. Right. But, you know, anecdotally, it was a little weird. Yeah. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm not, I mean, I'm re- not reading really anything into it. Yeah. Well, well, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening with the ball. And, you know, I'm sure we'll get like a fan graphs piece in a, in a few 
weeks or so when we have a little bit more data, someone will crunch the numbers and tell us how how much uh, less the ball is traveling this year. But bottom line is your team needs to be able to create offense, even if the ball does travel less. And Baltimore was able to string together hits and play small ball more effectively than the Red Sox. It's not like they were launching balls over the green monster and the Red Sox weren't. So uh, I think one of the things with the Red Sox lineup is it's just it's a homer dependent lineup. And that's part of the issue is that, um, you know, Bloom built a homer dependent bottom of the lineup, something we've talked about ad nauseum on this show. And when they don't hit homers, like you're going to see some stuff like this, which is an unfortunate side effect. And in one that will be much easier to stomach when the weather's much warmer and the ball's traveling further. And the top half of the lineup is doing their thing. Yep, exactly. It's going to open up a lot for the bottom. Yeah. Uh, next question comes from Red Sox Watcher, and he says, where can the Red Sox acquire a large volume of aluminum power bats? Uh, JustBats.com? <laughs> Isn't, um, oh, shoot, what's, uh, I can't remember what it was. That was going to be a bad joke anyway. The the Easton Green Bat, remember those? The Green Easton? I do. Yep, that's the one they need. I had a gold. Nice. With a three-ounce drop. It's nice. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, Angel Rondone has our next question. He says, uh, why does the blame get placed on Heim Bloom when the players just are, are, are just underperforming? Hey, man, that's what happens. That's the job. Like, that's why Bloom makes the big dollars. You get blamed for stuff that is not your fault. You get credit for stuff that is not your credit. Yeah, I don't. I don't really get this particular question. Are people like annoyed at Bloom that the Red Sox got swept? Maybe some people. Or is this just like a larger commentary on uh, the just terrible season last year with injuries and everything and then how they're starting? I think probably more the latter. All right. Yeah. I mean... Was it the offseason we were hoping for? No, but we knew that they were going to uh, not spend any money. So we don't have a super exciting uh, like new addition, and the guys that they brought in weren't flashy, and they're struggling. So, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I don't know. Well, it's certainly not his fault, and I don't think we uh, can really kind of rush to any judgment either way. Not struggling tonight. Nick Pavetta made it through five innings pitched. Uh, didn't allow any earned runs. And uh, Cordero has a hit. Marvin Gonzalez has another hit. Uh, and, uh, yeah. Well, Kike does not. He's actually looking pretty bad tonight. But you know what? <laughs> yeah. uh, the rest of the lineup uh, is looking pretty good. So, um, we'll see. It, it just comes with the territory, honestly. Like, any, yeah. any uh, architect of any team is going to get some... Some uh, some shots thrown at him when things aren't going right. Uh, Max says, will the Red Sox win a game this year? Yes, they'll win tonight. I'm going to throw down $1 on that. Interesting. Yep, it's going to happen. Uh, Wind is cheaper than coal, says, uh, what's a nice neighborhood in L.A. for someone who wants to relocate from the Boston area asking for a friend? I've actually never been to L.A. Have you, Keaton? I have uh, quite a few times for nice. minutes. 
flown into LAX. Uh, not a great airport to fly into when there's construction. Uh, that's a real struggle there. But um, I don't know any neighborhoods in LA. So um, Hollywood, is that one? That seems like fun. Yeah, I, I, I assume Hollywood is a neighborhood. Um, you know, I, I know the Weezer song, Beverly Hills, that's where I want to be. So I Strong. guess that's where I would want to be. It's Living Beverly like a Hills. celebrity. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what I would do. Uh, he also has a follow-up asking where Mookie lives. I don't know, man. Um, probably in a dope house somewhere in Beverly Hills. In every single Red Sox fan's minds, rent-free. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, ben McCall has the next question. He says, why are the Red Sox make me so sad? It's because you care, Ben. That's it. Because you care. If you didn't care, they wouldn't make you sad. So, props Makes to the you. highers feel high and the lowers feel even lower. Very low, yes. Uh, Mike Parker has our next question. He says, just what exactly happened against the Orioles? Boom, Mike, we just did a podcast on it. Check it out. <laughs> no bats. <laughs> no batter. The big man comes to us with the big man's first question of the regular season. He says, who we DFA in first? Josh Taylor. Oh, Josh Taylor DFA. He's got options, man. Why would we DFA that man? So who cares about the options? He's bad. <laughs> He's bad. DFA him. <laughs> He's bad. You should feel bad. Uh, I'm going to say we're going to DFA. Um, yeah, this is great radio. Um, I'm going to say Austin Bryce. We'll DFA Austin Bryce at some point this season, and I won't care at all. Oh, hey, old friend Chris Mazza coming in for the Rays. Ooh, time to crush that guy. And our last and final question of the night comes from Angel Rondon. He says, how's the next draft class looking? Pretty strong, actually, man. Um, You know, top four is going to be solid. Red Sox looking at a bunch of uh, prep shortstops right now. So, um, I mean, top four, you're going to get someone awesome. Unfortunate thing is it's probably not going to be lighter or rocker at this point. I think uh, he's talking about 2022. Oh, after a poor start here, I think we're he's projecting another top pick in 2022. Oh, oh man, let's not be so negative right now. A <laughs> little bit of positivity, my friend. A little bit of positivity. All right, we all need it in our lives these days. Sure. Um, Keaton, that's our show, man. Anything, uh, anything else that we should uh, end this thing with? Any any other thoughts for us getting out of here? Any closing thoughts? Don't panic yet, despite Don't. all of the questions you just asked us. Yeah. Keep the <laughs> questions coming. Keep the panic lower. Enjoy the 5 nothing lead heading into the bottom of the sixth. And uh, hopefully they hang on to this one and get their first W. Again, check us out on Twitter. Check Keaton out at the Spoken Keats. Check me out at, at @devjake. the Over the Monster account at, at Over the Monster. Subscribe to the show, rate and review, do all that fun stuff. Thank you so much for making us part of your routine and making us the Red Sox podcast that you listen to. We appreciate you guys so much. Thanks again for the questions, and we'll be with you again next time. Thanks, Keaton.